Welcome to the future of music. My name is Jake Abel, and I started this podcast as a passionate music fan interested in how technological developments like Web3 and AI will disrupt and continue to affect the music industry. Each week, I talk with artists, entrepreneurs, and music professionals about all things music and tech. So whether you're a musician, industry professional, music or tech enthusiast, or just have a curious mind, I'm hoping this podcast can become a resource for you to learn from me and the incredible guests I have on, and to prepare yourself for the future of music. In the spirit of technological development, I have started using an AI model of my voice to create my intros. This podcast is released in collaboration with Float and Experimental Label Media Company, and music platform I've been working with that helps artists create music and release it as digital assets. Check out the links in the show notes to find us on social media, see what we're up to, and discover some incredibly talented, independent artists. Ahmed Nimali is the co-founder of Kid Labs, a blockchain-integrated ticketing platform. Before starting Kid, Ahmed spent most of his career in the ticketing and live events industries working for companies like Live Nation, Ticketmaster, and Vivid Seats. With the founding of Kid Labs, which stands for Keep Your Distribution, Ahmed aims to address the existing challenges and inefficiencies within the ticketing industry. The company has two primary goals. First, to empower artists, promoters, and venues by increasing their revenue and solving industry problems. And second, to provide fans with a transparent ticket buying experience that fosters stronger relationships between artists and their supporters. We recorded this live in Brooklyn during NFT NYC, and unfortunately, I didn't have my full mic set up, so the audio isn't perfect. But we still had a great conversation about all of the issues with the ticketing industry and all of the ways that blockchain can solve those issues. I hope you learned something new from today's episode. Here is Ahmed Nimali. We good? Let's do it. We're here. We made it. Finally. Finally. Yeah, I'm excited. Dude, I'm super happy to be here. And uh, thanks for coming down yeah dude Jake let's do it bro yeah man I'm excited um have you done a podcast before yeah I've done a few um back when I was at Live Nation used to do uh podcasts for like different conferences um also black tech talent um phenomenal HR group that helps you know companies do diversity hires and get we get to write in my opinion so did a podcast for them back in the day as well shout out to Michael Jackson from uh, the founder of that yeah were you hosting that podcast, or you were a guest on that podcast? Always a guest, never host. Yeah, cool. Um, so you were at, you worked at Live Nation and Ticketmaster. What was your what was your background before KYD? Yeah, so I worked at Ticketmaster and Live Nation throughout the pandemic, uh, focusing on virtual events. You know, supporting the teams across the vertical. It was a tough time. Um, been at ticketing for pretty much my whole career, from vivid seats to the startup races at Fat Exchange, um, secondary and primary, uh, online yards. So, uh, Ticketmaster and Live Nation was my final stint before we started Kit and ticketing. Um, but yeah. And in pretty much my entire career and uh, working in ticketing companies. Um, what made you want to get into ticketing? So I got into ticketing because I was a huge live events, uh, just a fan. My parents were both musicians from Somalia and Ethiopia. You know, going to school for finance to realize DMA wasn't for me. Uh, I was going to product and I had the opportunity to work in live events through ticketing, right? It was, it was a passion of mine. And I love to say that um, it was a great way to also get uh, dates on Tinder when you have to get free tickets. So uh, that was helpful. <laughs> but you know, yeah, the perks are nice. The perks are pretty solid. So uh, it was it was good. So got to you know 
we participate in music, meet amazing artists, work with amazing venues, and also pick up a weirdly niche set of knowledge. Uh-huh. Um, so what was your role at all of those companies? So it ranged from product to engineering support. Um, everything from you know defining what we build, talking to customers, figuring out uh, A, how can we sell more tickets for them, B, how can we be more impactful to venues, especially during the pandemic, uh, and a lot of push their inventory. Uh, C is also work with resellers as well. At one point in time, uh, during fast change, uh, one of our predominant customers on the supply side were brokers. So, you know, it's a very small but unknown group. Uh, small is actually interesting. They're, they're, they're one of the leading factors of resale today. About 80 to 90% of major tickets are sold by resellers. Um, most Damn, people, really? Yeah. 80 to 90% of major, for like what major headlining artists and big concerts? Yes, sir. Are resale? That's an insane number. It's pretty crazy. That's yeah. wild. Like, you know, when I look back at it, like when I was at Fanachain specifically, we, we built this tool called Broker Wholesale. So it was other brokers selling to other brokers. Like the the level of brokers of tickets. Yeah, brokers of tickets. They would buy it. You know, they would have their relationships with the stadiums or with the ticketing companies. And dude, they had super. Simple. Damn, the resale companies would have agreements with the ticketing or venues to take all of the primary sales. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy, dude. Dude, it was nuts. I to, and brokers are very interesting people, man. They're they're fast speaking. They lose talk. Don't give a fuck. They take. There's an undeniable risk in. What they do right like their tickets might sell so they're getting all these tickets for face value and they're pushing it using tools like you know on a processor ticket utils to like multiple different marketplaces Ticketmaster, steve geek stuff up and you know these tools are very sophisticated man. they have like pricing data trend lines it's like imagine wall street for ticket uh-huh ticket sell. damn it's, yeah it's pretty insane super analytical super analytical and they live and die by their margins right and yeah, if you go to any broker conference or you, know, you speak with brokers, they'll tell you like, hey man, there was a time where the Browns were selling heavy and then, you know, it's story after story after story. And, you know, they, it's a group of people that, you know, people assume that they're just people, like these are men and women just standing around stadiums selling tickets and scalping. No, these are organizations with hundreds of millions of dollars. Some of them even VC backed, right? Uh-huh. So, huge industry, huge industry. Where do, like, where do all those resale, where would all those resale tickets be sold? Like, what platforms were they using to sell them back? Every single one at the same time. Really? <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of crazy. Like, when you look at, like, stuff, uh, you look at Vivid Seats, you look at, like, SeatGeek, you look at all these other platforms. Yeah. There's, like, this, imagine they're, they're pushing it to a product using, like, off-press or ticket utils, like, these products that are intermediaries that automatically push it mm-hmm. point them to all these markets at the same time. And it's kind of, kind of fascinating, right? They a broker could be selling the same ticket for different prices on SeatGeek, StubHub, and Vivid Seats all at the same time. It's, yeah, it's pretty insane. And sometimes, you know, there's this whole concept of spec tickets. The reseller might not actually have the tickets at all. Yeah, dude, that happened to me, my friend, the other day. <laughs> he like he I forget if he used Vivid Seats or SeatGeek, but he bought like last minute tickets to this comedy show in DC that we went to like two weeks ago, it was, it was uh, Sam Marill at like some theater, probably like a two, three thousand, two thousand cap theater. And he bought seats on Vivid, I think it was Vivid Seats, and then like paid for them, got charged, and like 10 minutes later, I think got a call from them that yeah. they didn't have the tickets for him. Right. 
And he was like, what the fuck? Like, what am I going to do? He was on the phone with them back and forth. And then they hooked him up. They're like, I don't know. They were like, we got you. Like, we'll find tickets for the show. Give him tickets to the show. And there were two shows that night. There was like the 7 p.m. show. There was a 9 p.m. show. And we get there. And the tickets say, like, too early. Like, wrong show. And so then the dude at the door was just like, oh, I think you're fine. He, like, didn't know what he was doing. So we walked inside. But we didn't have seats. And it was a sold-out show. So he was like... Dude, like, what the fuck? Like, they gave me the wrong tickets. They gave me the wrong show. Went back and forth with them for, I don't know, 30 minutes on the phone and then went to the box office. And the box office ended up having a couple tickets. And then I think he just, like, charged back the shit on Vivid Seats. Yeah. But, like, we were screwed for a little bit. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's crazy. That's funny hearing about that back end of it. I didn't really know how it all works like that. So there, there are certain states that have, like, you have to disclose if it's a spec ticket and vivid, you know, vivid seats to, like, we'll share that via the ticket notes or we'll share that via a symbol. Uh, but it's really up to the broker. The broker will have to say, hey, that this is a spec ticket. And, you know... Like, I might have this ticket. I might have this ticket. <laughs> like, those type of disclosures, like, it's, like I, there are brokers that are very honest and transparent and will share that with the spectacle. There are mm-hmm. some that are not. You know, every broker is not created equal. But, dude, those, that happens a lot more than most people uh, realize. Like, you know, there's a reason why when you go to, like, a ticketing site like Vivid or StubHub or SeatGeek, there's this concept of 100% guarantee, fact. Guarantee 155% like uh, money guarantee. Yeah. Like you go to any fucking e-commerce site. Like say you go to Adidas or you go buy a Nike jacket or you you know, go buy glasses on the website on an e-commerce store. There's no other e-commerce marketplace I've seen in my life that actually tells you, oh my god, there's a hundred percent chance you're gonna get your good. Right, right. It's like it's kind of implied. Yeah. So it's like, funny. I've seen like like comedians or memes or stuff talk about that. How like being that. I mean, it's sort of a different comparison, but like being that forward about like mm-hmm. things that you should already expect it like now I expect the opposite 100% like it's, it's crazy because like I think the stat was like 12-13% tickets are fraudulent or something like that or something wrong with lines and I'm like it makes sense <laughs> it makes sense the amount of spec tickets right like one of the things I won't forget during the pandemic was we had, I was talking to a few, you know, venue owners and they're like, um, you know, you're selling our tickets to shows that we even have all these tickets for it. Like, I'm like, uh, like that's, that's neither here or there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like brokers will list, like, I think I won't forget it on StubHub. And this, I was telling this to uh, Ruin Loves Tarek and his team. I was like, you guys know, like you guys have like tickets being sold on StubHub and you have your real tickets being sold on your website for, more than the ones being sold and stuff. <laughs> and it was mind blowing. I'm like, bro, like, rolling lives, the tickets are actually cheap. The, the, the primary tickets that are really being sold are cheaper than the ones on stuff. But I'm thinking about it, I'm like, it's kind of crazy. Like, how, where are they getting these tickets? Are, yeah. That is, <laughs> are these fan club tickets being masqueraded as, like, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting place to be in ticketing, man. It's, mm-hmm. you never know where these tickets are coming from. And it's not transparent. I'm assuming that is the goal of KYD is to fix all those issues. <laughs> you know, like when, when I started kid with David, it, you know, everybody's KYD. KYD. What's, what's KYD? And I'm like, it just stands for like keep your distribution and we call it kid. So cool. It, you know, our goal is to do two things, right? One is to make artists and promoters and venues more money. 
um, to solve the problems that we experience in the industry today, you're not going to get people to move over to another solution unless there is a real, true value on the, you know, the supply side, that's the hard side. And the second piece is to make sure that fans have a transparent um, experience and that artists can actually build a stronger relationship with those fans, right? You know, I, one of the things that resonates with me was I went to the first House of Balloons, the weekend's first concert of Walmart Club in uh, 2010, 2011. It was, you know, his first concert, he was killing it. And, you know, Drake popped up that night too. But like, I was I was a huge fan of House of Balloons. I would be listening to that in college and I would be putting it on forcefully at parties and there'd be men and women screaming at me, turn that shit off. <laughs> Funny enough, right? Uh, but yeah, no, dude, went to that concert tonight. You know, I've been a, I've been a weekend fan my whole life, uh, being from Toronto as well. And one of the things that stuck with me was like, hey, how, like, what if we could have the ability to know that I've been following him, and putting my money behind his music since day one? He doesn't, nor does any other artist. So what is, how can artists, and you know, a lot of artists talk about this. Garth, Garth is screaming this every time he gets a chance. But you know, artists want to be closer to their fans. They want their fans to get affordable tickets. They want their fans to, you know, come back and experience their music with them, right? So and they want to know just who's actually already doing that. Yeah, exactly. So like, it's it's a very funny scenario. That's you know, that's exactly what Kid does, right? We allow, and you know, our goal has always been being able to reward fans with artists and give them a platform that not only makes them more money, but allows them to reward fans from the first show to the last show of their families. That's what we've been mm -hmm. Um How does it make them more money than just like selling on another ticket platform? Like, are they able to sell more tickets or control more of the revenue? Like, what is that? aspect of it so that's a great question so for artists that are larger scale major artists they, they obviously are making more on resale that's why we allow artists to sell resell the tickets on our platform and make 15 10 whatever percentages they want to configure on mm -hmm. those tickets whereas right now the resale platforms take all of the take extra all. revenue yeah. yeah and you know there's some platforms that might do deals with artists say hey like like a stuff up like, you know, i'll give you like five percent mm -hmm. stuff up Kid, it's 100% of resale. You own it and control it, and it's 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 to the extent where you know you're 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 setting the rules like it can't resell for more than this, you know, or it can't you know we want 15% or 10% of every resale tacked on. So that's one way artists make more money. The second one is, um, you know, I've experienced this all the time. It's every ticket platform gives you an email list. If you're an artist and you're a venue, what the hell are you going to do with an email list? Like setting up simple automation for when you're going on tour, having a strong audience, you know, uh, audience tools or ways that, you know, you have somebody backing you and helping you deliver better content on your emails, uh, better information. Uh, being able to do that in a way that makes sense has been something that we've helped a lot of artists that use us today be successful on. Um, a good example is, you know, we had a, a, a local New York DJ that sells on every show, but he spends anywhere from three to 8,000 a month on ads. Damn. Yeah, dude. It's insane. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's, dude, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty sizable mid-sized DJ in New York. And one of the things that was shocking to us was he's lighting this one on fire because he doesn't have a pixel on dice. He doesn't have a pixel on it. He doesn't have a pixel. What's a pixel? A pixel is like effectively a way for you to track how successful your Facebook ads are and your channel uh -huh. from that campaign. So you actually have to embed this pixel or you know, put it on your website, yeah. get on the site so that you know what the full journey is. So from the moment a person sees it on Instagram to checking out, there's this whole fakeness. Like he's spending money on ads and doesn't know what, how much money he needs to spend to sell one ticket. Yeah. 
So he's over-optimized. Yeah. Money on fire, nor is his uh, platform learning. So being there, yeah, that's what. Like, what's? Why would he do? Why would he be doing that? Like, it's, it's crazy because like artists just don't know, man. It's mm-hmm. not their fault, right? These people are like trying to win venues, do shows after. They're doing a lot by themselves, right? And what we do at Kid is like. You know, the Web3 component, everybody's like, oh, you're Web3. No, man, we're not. We're, we're a ticketing loyalty company that is the backbone, the technical backbone for artists and venues. We're supporting them with their ad campaigns. We're giving three insights, four minutes of their top insights every week. We're sitting down with them and we're putting in, you know, not only are we giving them the tech, we're giving them that, that agency work that helps them scale. And there's a level of loyalty. Dice is not going to sit down with you or Eventbrite or competitors sit down with you and let you know how to be more successful on, your, on monetizing your events. You know what I mean? We are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a big difference. Um, as far as the data goes, like, yeah, artists right now don't really get any of that data from any of the ticketing companies as to like who their loyal customers are. And then, you know, different venues are using different platforms. So they, yeah. they don't know like who's going to how many shows. And I feel like that data is just like so valuable. Like my mom is a super fan of the Dirty Heads. Let's go. I think she is seeing them with my dad like 10 times this year. And they've done a couple like VIP shows and I think met them, but like, you know, they probably have no idea that she's been to fucking 25 shows in the last three years. And, I, and you know, they probably have other fans like that. And every band or artist probably has some fans that are, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule. There are 20% of the fans creating 80% of the value for every artist probably. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like, how, how do you, I mean, like, like how, how do they get this data? They don't have access to it. Like, I feel like just that data point of like, how many tickets has this fan bought to my shows over their lifetime, you know, lifetime value of a fan, whatever. Like, I feel like that would help so many artists just capitalize on their most dedicated fans so much. And basically right now, there's no solution to it, right? Oh, dude, it's, 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 it's nightmarish. It's, <laughs> imagine being an artist with some thousands of shows and all of your fans are in different Excel sheets that you got to download manually from your ticket provider using Dice or Eventbrite. If you're using Ticketmaster, you're... Uh, it depends. Everybody's different in a relational way. I'll, st- I'll, I'll state my, my thoughts there, but the big thing is, like, there is no platform today that's like, yo, these four people have come to your home shows. These are your repeat customers. In a clear, concise way, like, a artist, a venue, a promoter is not going to sit there and hope to God, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm going to go through Excel sheet and find who that, that email, that name. Like, it's not work. I'm kid. Them, hey, listen, these are your top fans. These are your people that come to your events. You know, we set them up with like a literary solution called our feed where they get to put it in their bio and they can track clicks and they can track how many fans, you know, on those email lists are interacting and buying tickets. And, you know, down the line, we do have this concept called automatic rewards where if you go to five shows and you're coming back to Mike Nasty's or coming back to a Bambi show, and these are they're both very notable promoters in New York and Canada, but like you go to their shows and you get automatic discounts after going to the fifth show. It applies at checkout. Mm-hmm. And you're getting this email thing. You're getting this like piece that email artists can't configure. And that's the beginning. Loyalty, the, the thing about why loyalty is so key in an artist's success, a lot of them don't see the immediate benefit, but the long-term benefit's very clear. Mm-hmm. You increase your lifetime value of your customer. You're rewarding fans so that whenever they're thinking about you, they're like, hey, you know what? I might buy that ticket because I know that if I keep on supporting my or if I keep on supporting this venue, then I'm going to get rewarded for that. 
And that's just the same kind of mentality that made Starbucks so successful too, right? Like, you're not thinking about that coffee, you're like, oh, I'll get my points. You're like, yeah. Like, yeah, should I get Starbucks? Yeah, I'll get some points. I'll go yeah. get Starbucks. Uh, they say that Starbucks is a little bit more stable than the stock market now, so those coins are <laughs> <laughs> pretty valuable, man. But, like, it's all key in, in the long tail of it. Like, with Kid, like, what we've been doing is looking at, like, the top three levers of an artist's success. It's, you know, loyalty, it's resellership, and it's also financing, which is a big, a big part of, you know, scale. Say that again, loyalty, resale, ownership. And financing. And financing. And financing. Those are what, the big three benefits that, like, Kid's big three value adds compared to other ticketing yeah. companies? Like, the reality is, like, when it comes down to doing shows, it comes down to doing, um, you know, tours and all this stuff, you're going to need a lot of upfront cash. If you're a promoter, you're going to need a lot of upfront cash if you're an artist doing it by themselves. And if you're a venue, same kind of deal. Um, the financing portion, you know, our tickets on the back end are all NFTs. Mm-hmm. This opens up a huge possibility of collateralized lending and providing liquidity providers and, you know, your people like ourselves, retail buyers, to invest in artists. And you know, say, hey, we'll pre-buy these tickets and claw back sales in a more rational way. That's been something that you know we've we're looking out toward and saying, hey, this is where we need to be. But right now, we're hyper laser focused on just onboarding customers, and onboarding the next million fans and the next ten thousand artists to their own ticketing solutions. Mm-hmm. And how? What are the challenges with that? With onboarding new new people to the platform, I love to learn the story. Like I can walk into any venue, and the moment that you know I go in there, and I'm not saying we're going to make you more money, that that venue owners will laugh me out that room, and that promoter will laugh me out that room. You know, one of the things that I think most people um, in our ecosystem web to understand is that the music game and the ticketing game are are it's 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 another way of thinking. Like you have to go in those rooms and have an immediate value to a venue owner. They have a thousand things on their mind. They don't want to be sold. They're PLs. Right. They're PLs today and already have a ticketing company every three years giving them a check. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta come in there with an immediate value that's gonna make an immediate impact. And you know what we've found really is helpful is saying, hey, listen, we'll take we'll take a hit on our fees, we'll give you a rebate. Come onto our platform, give us three events. We'll pay mm-hmm. you out faster, we'll pay you out in a way that makes sense, we'll help you guarantee your target back to a certain extent, and we'll put you in place to be successful. Ticketing companies are no longer hanging out checks like they used to, so venue owners are like, okay, you know what, that's gonna help me a lot. Uh-huh. And then they start seeing the benefits. The promoters start seeing the benefits, and then we become top of mind. Yeah, I mean, I think the resale, like control of the resale market is like the biggest value add of all time. It's crazy. Oh yeah, man. It, it, it is. Like, it, the thing is like for smaller venues, smaller promoters, that they're not looking at that as the highest value item. They're like, okay, the loyalty and like getting our data packaged, getting sponsorship decks created for us. That's the that's their that's their bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I get to sit down and work with a promoter that's looking to get a tequila sponsor, and they win a tequila sponsor because we helped create a deck and we gave them their data that that tequila sponsor wants to see. That's an example of like them being more successful because they're not gonna they're not gonna proceed to resell a ton of tickets. They're mm-hmm. gonna be they're gonna grow into. That. You know what I mean? Every people start out as a local promoter in New York, right? They, they scale into this massive offer that has all the sponsorships and they resell the motherfucker. The problem is now is that every promoter that's small to mid-size or many small to mid-size, depending on who's playing for them that night, it's resale is a small part of their success. Yeah. Sponsorship is a bigger part of their success. Mm-hmm. So you guys have, you could help out those players, those small to medium players with 
figuring out how to get sponsorship. Yeah, I think there's like two big things. Like one is create the deck and no one wants to put in the deck. Yeah. And two is like, who would, like a lot of people don't know who from Red Bull to talk to for sure. sponsorship. Yeah. Identification and decoration are the two things that make us super successful um, with these kind of like parties, right? Where did you get all these sponsorship connections through your experience previously in the industry? It's a lot of my personal Rolodex, and also we are back, we're a Comcast company, we're back like Comcast. Uh-huh. So, you know, when it's shut to me, uh, you know, the Comcast, NBC, Lift Labs, um, they were critical in us identifying different players. You know, we can reach out to them and say, hey, who's the best person to talk to for, you know, extending? to see if there's mm-hmm. a, a synergy there, right? So they're very supportive there. Um, and that's just been a big way. When you're, when you're working with a player like Comcast, you're working with NBCU, and you're working with, you know, the Spectrum Core team, like these are, this is an organization that's backed thousands of different brands and, you know, tens of thousands of different IPs that all have marketing budgets, all have different experiments and things they're doing, all working with the top agencies, right? So it just it became the thing that really snowballed for us, right? And yeah, it's that Rolodex plus the ability to create decks that they care about. It's both that feedback. Yeah, that seems like a huge help, to, especially to those, you know, small and medium venues and promoters. What are what are some like some of the exciting partnerships you've helped out with so far? Like who who you work with at kid that is you know that you're excited about personally right now? Uh, super, honestly, super excited. Shout out to DJ Mike Nasty. I think. One of the pe- one of the people that threw us some of the best events in New York, um, you know, we he came off the kid as a pilot, and we're now we have now an exclusive six month deal, and just seeing him perform as a DJ and selling out like the Bell House, selling out the Chelsea Music Hall, selling out some of these amazing venues, and seeing how we can we can help him grow has been something that I find super exciting, especially because there's parallels with Dice there too, right? He has, a, he has a great amount of data that from Dice that we can compare and say, hey, are we making this tech more profitable than our main competitor Dice? Um, what are the values that you're seeing with us that we can share with our investors, that we can share with other promoters and build those case studies? Another, obviously, is Comcast Spectacore, which, you know, Wells Fargo Center will be exciting things that we're working up there not to let anything out yet, but we're working with that team very closely, trying to find and figure out how we can further deliver loyalty in a way that makes sense to um, the over uh, over 100,000 flyers and what's five at the end of the year. Cool, man. Yeah, definitely very exciting. Um, as far as like finding clients go and who you're working with right now, is it still um, like it's not an open platform anyone can just sign up for right now. How do you go about choosing who you guys are working with? So we actually do something called Cosign. So somebody from like a, you know, so it's a referral based platform. So we have like about 150 verified referrers that can refer anybody to kid. Um, we, we are very selective about our customer base because early successes for a startup like ours is being able to work with the white right customers that don't have crazy amounts of chargebacks. Mm-hmm. Give you an example. Most people don't know in ticketing that there are three types of, there's two genres and one type of uh, menu that typically builds more chargebacks. Right? <clears throat> nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Nightclubs are amazing nightclubs. Like, there's some nightclubs that host amazing concerts as well. Nothing to slight on them, but the reality is when you're a nightclub, you make your money at the bar. So if somebody buys a ticket, they, that ticket holder feels like they have to get into the event because they bought a ticket, which is reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. But, 
if you're not dressed a certain way when you go into a nightclub, you might get refused at the door. Sure. And now you're at the results in the chargebacks. So nightclubs typically are higher chargebacks. But that being said, we're a referral and write-only platform. We typically take on select types of clients that um, you know we can look at and say, hey, like you know we can definitely help you grow. We can work together and build. Um, the clients range from anywhere from clients that do from five ten thousand dollars GMB per event. So we're not a DIY event right solution. We we pride ourselves as an enterprise tool that helps get mid-sized small mid-sized customers on the brink of like scaling. Um, is the plan eventually to become more open once you like work on the model or do you want to stay pretty selective about who you guys work with for a while? Uh, we're thinking about it doing it for a while is to stay close and keep it in mind only for now. And you know, things can change. I, uh, you know, being a, being a startup co-founder, it's, it's, you know, our strategy right now is based off what we're seeing works and ultimately it can change, right? Um, true. Very true. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of, I mean, I feel like, you know, I've worked with a few startups over the last six months to a year and, and yeah, things change fast. It's like, um, and I was having this conversation with someone at one of our events last night, but, um, you know, there's the initial idea for sure, but when you're a startup, like that core idea is going to change a lot and you just have to be able to adapt and figure out what works and pivot to that. Um, and really at the end of the day, it's about the, the core team and how they are going to be at, you know, working together and create, you know, pivoting the right way and figuring shit out. And so like he was talking about, um, how he, he worked, I think this guy worked for Goldman, but he was talking about how they think about investing in startups and how like, you know, you need a strong core idea at the start, but really they look at the team and like, who is who's actually building, you know, whatever platform or whatever company it is. And like, are, do they believe in the team to be able to pivot and, and adjust to things? Um, with that, how many people are on the team at Kid and how did you guys come together? Uh, it's my, my co-founder, David, and myself. It's a really tight team. So David, you know, one of the best engineers in the planet, in my opinion. My co-founder has uh, been startups for the past 10 years. Everything from, you know, working in ad tech at Flipmass to, uh, being one of the founding engineers at BuildSpace, you know, David is, you know, his career has been really building amazing emerging tech and dealing with startups and understanding that space. Whereas, you know, I've worked in the corporate, uh, corporate product field for my entire career, right? So I, I'm always learning from David uh, when it comes to understanding, you know, the ecosystem and what could happen in startups. But what makes us really special as a team is we both have the ticketing knowledge base and expertise and we have the understanding of how to build it using emerging tech like you know the on the app touch chain using move based programming right so it's been it's been huge i think one of the things that david makes david and I special as a team is we have the ability not only to like build what we're build what we're saying build the right thing but we're out there in the streets selling every day like we're going to venues we're cold calling every single day we're you know ticketing is the hardest industry to get into and you know, we get that asked that question, like, how are you going to be taking master? And I, I would say it's one phone call at a time, right? Like, it's, it's, it, you just got to pay, you got to beat the pavement, right? And it's, it's not for everybody. Uh, you got to be a little bit, a little bit crazy, a little bit, you know. <laughs> you got to love it more than anything, I think, right? You got to love it, right? And it's just, it's just a game, right? You got to go to venues, you got to travel, you got to talk to people every day. 
Um, and you just, you know, as a founder, you're know, like, I, I do my best at doing that and taking these calls and knowing they're in person. And that's something that's made us pretty successful so far. Um, ultimately, it does, it does add a little bit more gray to my head, but <laughs> <laughs> it is something that I enjoy. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I think separates us from a lot of different other teams. We don't need 20, 15, 10 people to do that right now. We, we need to find our flywheel. And, you know, that's, that's the goal. We're just going to keep on patting the pavement until we see that flywheel where it's naturally coming. It could take some time, but we're going away. Yeah, man. I mean, it seems like you have the passion to, to keep going and make it work. Um, why do you say ticketing is the hardest industry to get into? I think from my experience, I would say probably just because all these bigger ticketing companies win all these valuable contracts by just throwing money at venues and big promoters. Is there anything more to it than that? There is. There's a lot to it. There's rebates where it's like, how you cut that service fee up? And, you know, part of that, something that goes to the venue, the venue doesn't make much on the face value depending on the deal. Um, it's understanding who to talk to, like, you know, the GM or the venue owner, like, who, what's the dynamic there? You know, I, I say ticketing is a really hard industry to jump into if you have not worked in ticketing because people are going to look at you a certain way. You go to Polestar, right, a conference, most people don't know, like, what's Polestar? It's one of the largest music industry conferences. If you go there, people are all, like, shaking hands, competitors, too. Everybody's like, everybody knows everybody. Um, so it's just that barrier to entry of like being a newcomer, right? And you know, coming from my background, it's, it's relatively safe. So I, you know, I walk into those rooms and it's it's like, oh shit! It's like uh, it's 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 back at it again with you know the old the usual suspects. But <laughs> right. it, it, when it comes down to it, to your point, you know, you have when you're coming to the U.S., you're paying you're paying to play. Um, we we get a kid avoid about advances completely. We don't advance money. Uh, right now, to this day, and what we focus on is financing solutions that you know could benefit the the, the the venue. A lot of these deals, I'm not going to speak into too much of it, but a lot of these deals that these venues take are horrendous. Like I'm talking about, like their interest rates are like their interest rates for these investors are anywhere from three to fifty percent. Like imagine being a damn taking like on what on the advance that like an Eventbrite or a Ticketmaster will pay them to secure the contract. I'm not gonna say who, <laughs> but I don't. Big ticketing companies. I'm just gonna say big ticketing companies. Sure. Air, ticketing companies. Ticketing companies. Like you know these the, like reality is these deals they got to recoup over a period of time, right? Like and mm-hmm. some. Oh really? I guess I didn't really realize it like that. I thought it's just an advance. It's not like. We will give you two hundred thousand dollars, and you will use us as your ticketing platform. It's we will give you two hundred dollars in advance, and then recoup it from your sales. Your sales. So imagine you're a venue. You take three million dollars. You renovate your venue, and now your ticket sales for the next year are non-existent. Damn. Yeah, that's kind of fucked, dude. I didn't realize it worked like that. That is kind of fucked. It's a cycle, man. Yeah. Cycle, and it just it just it puts venues in a really fucking it really it's, it's a predatory cycle that keeps on happening every three yeah years, every five years. And you know when I go when I go back to it, like I I look at this and I'm like this is a problem. This is what we're trying to solve for on the five mm-hmm. years inside. So if I need somebody to fucking do this, yeah. Uh, and you know some of these terms on these on these agreements, they're like there's messers and mess components. Mess components are like. We take your we take your damn venue if you don't fucking pay this back. Uh huh. Or there's there's like the take- damn, it's real predatory. Like listen, every deal is different. Yeah. But from what I've seen, it's 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 interesting. You know, like I 
this industry requires a lot. If you're a new ticketing company, like one of the things that a lot of them fall into is they, they start buying these deals. Like, you know what? We're gonna take a little bit of our raise and we're gonna we're gonna go and get us a venue and drive some GMD. And I'm like, fuck, that's not a good idea. Because mm-hmm. you don't know how much a venue can sell. Their history is a yeah. great indicator, but yes, but like if you're looking at a venue and they're like, and you're a newer ticketing company, you can just take your money and just like say, hey, like we want to make our ticket sales. So we're not gonna like we're not gonna let you fucking take half of our sales. Uh-huh. And then what are you gonna do? They'll like we'll walk. And what you're gonna be working with this venue for ten years? So like this is the danger of getting on these events. You're not yeah. you're not one of the bigger players. Like anybody, any venue or promoter will tell you, oh, you know, it rocks. Uh huh. <laughs> what are you gonna do there? Yeah, as a newer player. And a lot of this is like you're like, like a, a lot. There's a lot of different shady elements to using a ticketing that you just don't want to like play with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and this is goes like back. what? Can I ask you to expand on those I, I shady refuse, elements? I refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> fair. I, I will had to ask, but <laughs> totally fair. Like, there's a lot of shit that you know everybody's aware of in the music industry or in the ticketing industry. Like, you just you gotta be smart. You gotta. You can't take crazy risks. Like the the thing. You know, to your initial question about all that, like why is it a hard industry to get into? Because it takes time. Yeah. It takes time. Uh huh. It's it, you know like, and that's the thing. Like you're rushing into a new industry, and, and, and I think a lot of the teams are especially with everything. We all need to work together more. Mm-hmm. The reality is like this is a very difficult industry to win. This is a very difficult industry to onboard a new like the right. To. Now, when you say industry, you mean Web three. Yeah. Yeah. Like we all have to effectively like share. I think it's yeah, definitely. It's like I feel like the mentality in Web three is the the rising the rising tide raises all boats, right? Is that the first? I, can't, I feel like I don't know if I'm getting that totally right, but the, con- the concept is there. It's like the more people in general that we can get to be using blockchain technology, like it's gonna help everyone who uses it. hundred fifty percent, and the reality is, it's blockchain. Our, our data, our ticketing data is public. People can build on that data today. Mm-hmm. You can build on my data. Yeah. On what chain you're on, right? We're, we're, we're on the Aptos network. So, like, if you're on the Aptos network, you can build on our data. You can build on our information and, you know, you can do what you need to do with it. It's decentralized. So there's no, like, if we're all competing, trying to compete and trying to do that now, it's just way too fucking early. Yeah. Yeah, that composability is... is one of the biggest value adds of blockchain that I think a lot of people don't just understand what that term or concept even means, but it means that like, you know, this piece of data that you're using for ticketing, for example, you can plug into like this other website that analyzes all that data and can compile it with like, you know, your music NFT sales or something like that, for example, or like you can use an NFT ticket and plug it into like a loyalty website that gives you pre-sale ticket access to the next concert. Um, so yeah, that, I mean, um, yeah, the composability there, I feel like for ticketing is just such a good use case because then you can just plug it into all these like loyalty and post-fan engagement type stuff. Like, Oh yeah, like it's, 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 it's just, it's a, no, it's a no-brainer. Like there isn't a world where, you know, we should all be working together just to like build that so we can all offer something that's more competitive than the existing solutions, right? Like liquidity is in terms of fads is where we need to be, right? Like we're we're all we're all in this together, man. We're all in this together. Hundred percent. Um 
Why did you guys decide to go with the Aptos chain? You know, one of the things that I like to pride myself on is working with like-minded individuals as a co-founder, you know, Mo from the Aptos, so, you know, the CEO of Aptos. You know, when I spoke to him about what we're doing and we, we talked about it is the, the very simple answer was we're building this for the culture, we're building this for the fads. It's something where, you know, he, he gave us the ability to be the protocol standard on ticketing end for the Aptos network. And it was it was the fact that you know when I came into that it was David was like this the tech works makes sense that you can build on it and then on my end you know as a team we can build together and it's very collaborative by far I think you know the best chain in my opinion uh, for music and for what we're doing just based off the support and just the raw enthusiasm for mass consumer adoption and that's what we're for. Uh huh. So. Yeah, I mean, the people aspect is definitely huge there. You build on Ethereum. You're not working with anyone from the Ethereum team to help you with your solution. So, yeah, I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, as far as, like, the actual... it's a So it's its own layer one chain, right? Um, and I'm going to assume that, like, the transactions are pretty quick and the gas fees are super low. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Incredibly quick, incredibly quick transactions and the fees are... Not yeah. So I mean, I feel like there's got to be some challenges there with like just the popularity and amount of users that are already using Ethereum. Like, I guess. Let me ask you a question. Like, think about it this way, right? Like, if your goal as a product is to help people sell tickets and it works, and you have the underlying support of mm -hmm. an amazing network of amazing group of people, the popularity doesn't really play a part in that decision making, especially for me as a founder. Decision making is level of support, level of you know alignment on terms of goals, and the third piece is always going to be, does it work? Yeah. And, and you know, David is a phenomenal. My partner is phenomenal what he does. And reality is, it works. It works splendidly. It's faster than we were doing on Solana. And I, I do think um, overall, like it's a team that we can grow and build with. That's, that's what matters to me. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you guys aren't worried about, like, you're, you're selling tickets. You're a ticketing company. Like, we're a ticketing company. We're not, <laughs> right. we're not an NFT project. Right, so like, right. Us, it's like, yeah, like, our tickets happen to be NFTs, and, you know, if, if it works and our fans are having a good time, our customers are having a great time using it, the decision-making is very binary for us, right? And it just it goes back to, like, Mo and Avery, right? And it's, I can call Mo at any given time, be like, oh, I'm like, you look at this, you know? So as a founder, getting that support from another founder, it's also like being able to have that constant back and forth feedback that's just making the network better, making our team better, and, um, and yeah, just the, the ability to look at, I love to say it, the culture, like Mo understands the cultural significance of what we're doing and has is, is, is been super supportive and that team has been doing everything they can to support that. Mm -hmm. What are... What do you think are some of the benefits of like having that backend blockchain tech that you wouldn't be able to facilitate otherwise? Like we talked about the secondary market and like fan loyalty, obviously some security, but like, you know, theoretically, maybe there are some ways you can just do that on the internet. What do you think are the biggest value adds of actual blockchain itself? The reality is, is that Vivid Seeds, StubHub, CD, you're not going to share information. Going back to the initial you know, part of the podcast where we talk about brokers selling tickets on 12 different places, mm -hmm. you'll never know where a ticket is. You'll never know where the price of a ticket is. The transparency is allowing artists to properly price their tickets, create a more efficient marketplace. That's been the blockchain phenomenon. Composability, being 
able to allow loyalty companies to build on top of our event data, being Elon Martins, to be able to see what the pricing looks like across chain, yeah. and being able to have that real control in resale, being able to set those rules, right. that's an impossible. Yeah, that's something the blockchain is like almost literally designed for, is that type of control. They're, they're like, I, you know, my, my co-founder and I have a similar view on these things. Like we, we want to make sure that we're building the thing that makes sense, right? Like our product could have been built using centralized, you know, solutions mm -hmm. in the US. We would have done that. It would have been <laughs> yeah. a lot easier. Uh -huh. What we, we know we're doing is we're building the foundation of the future. Mm -hmm. This is the perfect tech for what we're trying to accomplish long term. And it's the perfect tech to sway the industry in the right direction moving forward. Everybody, it's like a uni universal thing in ticketing. Everybody knows that Web3 is the right tech yeah. to push it forward. Right. So, it's cool. Really, I mean, so like you've talked to other people in ticketing, they're like, yeah, Web3 is really the, is yeah. the future. Yeah, all the time, all the time. Uh -huh. Like I, you know, like the thing is that there's such, there's amazing people that work in the ring team. I mean, especially my former colleagues, Ticketmaster, 15, Slack. Like it, it, the reality is that everybody's like, hey, like this makes sense. Yeah. You know, like it's just like we're, it's like who's going to figure it out first? Yeah. Who's going to have the best consumer experience? Right. And you know, a kid, not a tutor on horn here, but like, and we by far have the best experience when it comes to like consumers checking out it's two steps you put your information mm -hmm. you add your credit card you get to go um, you can store it for later and you know we've been doing this for for a bit and then David going back to my co-founder David who's right now actually building the other room he's he's built something that is highly it's, it's, it's very usable from being able to create affiliate links for your other promoters so you can track sales like my boy is sick. <laughs> My boy is sick. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ticketmaster started messing around with blockchain and NFT ticketing recently. Did you, I'm assuming you saw that announcement. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I really am a fan of Ticketmaster, but I do think it's cool that they are starting to experiment with the technology. And I mean, I don't know, hopefully if they really get more into it, they will start sharing more data and shit. But I love, like, since I started learning about blockchain and ticketing and like saw the use case there, like, I mean, their initial announcement is they're working with Death Bats Club, which is, um, Avenge Sevenfold, Sevenfold yeah. is like a, a heavy metal rock band that has this, I'm sort of just saying this so listeners know what's going on. <laughs> they have like a 10,000, edition nft project where like all of it's like their fan club basically everyone who owns the nft gets like exclusive content and like you know is part of their community in a way that you know they are keep trying to drive value back to the project and now finally they're doing like token gated pre-sale tickets which i think is just like the most basic use case that is just seems so obvious for like everyone who would want to get into blockchain it's like just start a fan club where people who are using it get pre-sale access to tickets. So it was exciting, I think, seeing Ticketmaster do that, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the I whole think, thing. I think any adoption and any, any adoption went through by Ticketmaster Live Nation, the biggest player, um, is a really good side for the ecosystem. I think it, when you have the biggest ticketing company in the world say, hey, like, we're, we're playing around this, we're using this, this it, 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 it pushes companies like ours more to the front fold. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 
it validates it. Yeah. It validates it. And I think, yeah, again, I think a lot of people at Metzlarning are very, very smart. You're an incredible engineer, an incredible, incredible uh, executive team there. And they're going to continue playing around with this. And, you know, this is something that, you know, we hope we can, you know, get ahead of. But ultimately, we, we look at this as a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. No, it's a good headline. It's like instead of Silicon Valley Bank or in. <laughs> SPF, it's like, oh, you know, this new big company is using stuff in the right, sort of like Starbucks a little bit. It's like, oh, people are like, I don't know. I think people will start to slowly realize like, oh, maybe it's just an interesting technology that's like helping people fucking make better products. Like, I think here, here's where it goes back to like the blockchain of the three. I think it's been so, it's been, the tech has been so glorified as like the future of something nobody really knows yet, but Reality is, it's it's, a, it's it's just a means to an end. Yeah. It's what well, we like. I kid like, I avoid saying we're a Web three ticket company. It's not what we are. We're right. Not, we're not a React ticketing company. We're not a Vue ticketing. Right. It's not like fucking Ticketmaster or Dice or Eventbrite. It's like we're an AWS ticketing company. No fucking sense. Like yo, at the end of the day, like we sell tickets. We do this. We make it more profitable in these areas. Let's work and we'll deliver amazing customer service, right? I have all of my, I've been to, <laughs> I think it's, I'm losing track now at this point, but I've sat there and I've got lots of customer events. I've sat at the door scanning and doing what I needed to do as a founder to see what the experience is. And there's so much that goes into it. And I'm like, like most people don't know something that I love actually. Most people don't know like the door people are actually a big indicator success because if they go back to the menu of the artist they said they had a fucking hard time with the door that menu order to keep it in space it's gonna come coming sucks uh-huh so there's a human elements to what we yeah. do like being able to go to the door like i go to the door at lot with mike has a bottle of water for the door staff i sit there scan the bit provide real time you know feedback there the first 10 15 events and build that relationship that's part of, you know, you're looking at long tail adoption, you have to look at the human elements of what you're doing, it's going to be very human. So being able to win them over, being able to like get the door people on your side, get the bar staff on your side, get the venue, all of those are going to be factors in your success. And the crazy thing is those door people that you just got water for work at seven other venues. True. Yeah, that's a good point. And guess what? You become now, that's, that becomes a funnel, right? And it's crazy because I, I tell our investors all the time, like, oh, I need more out of getting these deals. And I've talked to a lot of door people, talking to people that set up LED screens and menus. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm doing things that, like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you gotta hustle like that. The flywheel is not gonna happen unless you, you're, you know, you're hitting critical mass where everybody's hurting you, you know? Like, mm -hmm. um, and then at that point, you're getting calls on your phone and say, hey, can I get an event set up? And it just naturally happens, you know? Yeah, I mean that that those human relationships really do go a long way. How I mean, I'm assuming that's pretty challenging though with such a small team. No, oh, man. No? no? It's if you look at it this way, like if you set up like we me and David track internally, like number of calls per day. I we have something called phone phone, so my goal is to do fifty calls a week. Mm. And then I am during that period going to venues, asking for walkthroughs, learning. So about five to ten a week. Plus, we're looking at going out, which my liver hates. Like, I have to go out. Yeah. All these DJs and showcase. And on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're looking at any night, probably around four to six venues. And so you're just like hopping around on the weekends, going to all these different spots. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's just what you need to do like, for 
for the next six to eight months is what we need to do. Like that's mm-hmm. just that's the only way to see a movie. You have to go. Yeah. And you can't just go to a venue and be like, oh, what's up, man? I have some this ticket and stuff. And you gotta like go there, have a few drinks, and then fuck who you're talking to, and mm-hmm. And also like hospitality companies, like you know. Also, shout out to uh, Dream Hospitality, uh, Mario and George. But uh, you know, speaking with them and building relationships is a big thing too, right? Like being able to work and you know spend time with people, and that's it's a lot of trust. Like, I'll give you an example. If you're looking at a venue or you're looking at a hospitality like drink two millions of dollars a week in sales, and it's basically getting like a company like that to trust you really with their funds. So you have to build credibility. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is like you know tellish, but it's 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 what you need to do to start. Once you have that flywheel, like what I'm doing, I can impart that to salespeople that we hire from like you know uh, other other companies, and you know they they have a process that kind of works um, or you know a baseline. I think it's it's very hard as a founder to get people to believe in you um, if you don't do the work yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it just goes back to those personal relationships. Like, um, is Dream Hospitality one of your clients or partners? Uh, we're working toward that right now. Uh-huh. We're in conversations, um, figuring that out, what that looks like. Uh, but not the phenomenal hospitality company. Yeah. Phenomenal group. Uh, they were obviously part of Mesa. A few shows that happened there. But yeah, we're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your like key, what do you think are your, I guess you've sort of talked about this, your keys to finding new clients. It's building those relationships and talking about the monetary value add. It's yeah, you, literally, it's, you have to, like there's no, there's no secret, there's no secret sauce to take it when it comes to this. You gotta be out there, you gotta be knocking on doors, you gotta be hitting the pavement. Like there's no easy way out. Like I, I love saying this, it's the, I love saying this quote and I've been saying this from day one. It's like, there's no venue owner or promoter that's gonna find you on a B2B ad or an Instagram ad. And <laughs> be like, yeah, let me but, switch ticketing providers. Yeah, let me make my life a little bit more difficult. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You gotta go and, you know, like a lot of the stuff that we're saying, they like, like if they're using a map brand and they're like comfortable, then we do like, we're, they're not the right customer for us, right? Mm-hmm. We do find customers that are actively like, looking but they're looking in ways where they're going to events and they're talking to people sorry say that last part again they're going to events and they're talking to people they're getting referrals yeah it's all everything's a co-sign like, mm-hmm. you work with guy has like client would always be like right he'll go to like dj kendallas she does her own events but like yeah we're not working with them solve it you should check it out like, yeah okay, cool i have these problems <laughs> The cosigns are huge. Like the way the, yeah, it's a great way to find partners is just like from trusted friends and partners. Like, yeah, I work with them. They're solid. Like you, you, like you guys will be good. That goes such that type of, uh, referral goes so much farther than any marketing or advertising ever could. Cause then like, you know, like it's, it's crazy cause a lot of a lot of people I've worked with in my career, like they'll always say whenever they're getting like, hey, you work with this person, like, yeah, he's, they're solid, they're, he or she's solid. But there's an accountability in the industry, right? When you're giving a cosign, like I gave a cosign to this person, and this person messes up, I'm accountable. And that's something that, you know, it bears a lot a cosign for music and especially ticketing are huge. Yeah, you're putting your reputation on the line it's, a bit. It's credibility, man. It's 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 it's, it's a tough thing. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like I heard as I was trying, as I was like finishing up grad school and trying to find a job in music that like I got a lot of advice of you will stick out if you are a good person who delivers. I'm like, that's it. I just have to be like a good dude and do my job. <laughs> like that's going to set me apart. <laughs> I think I got that going. So it's, it's crazy. Music's an industry now like that. You get lost very quickly, but there's a lot of great, amazing people in music that are fucking good. And I'm like, you know, like I've seen it with agents and I've seen it with ticketing companies. I've seen it with certain people in those ticket companies, legends that literally have done things that are impossible, right? They're hitters. Um, and me and David love that word, like, you know, being a killer in the industry means that you can close and you can do this as a binary result, right? So, you know, given where we're at, we're hoping that we can, you know, actually, I got all the information we'll that we'll get there. It just, it, it is an industry where you will stick out if you deliver. It mm -hmm. is an industry where if you get that co-sign, you deliver, it's a wrap. The mm -hmm. flywheel is the network effect. It's gonna, it's gonna hit, when it hits, it's over, it's over, it's over. So what are your plans for, you know, KYD in the future? What are your, what are your like goals for the year and then goals after that? Yeah, no, right now our goal is to hopefully sell, uh, actually, I can say hopefully, we're gonna do, we're gonna do it. Um, the next 12 months, $2 million uh, on sales. I mean, $10 million in GDP. And then overarchingly, like, we wanna be the future of loyalty. We wanna start playing more into that field and, and building up and scaling out our sales efforts to be more robust and having a format. I think it's just about hitting our flywheel and that's that's our overarching goal. But from a culture perspective, we want to drive the culture of like showing people what a web free ticket could be. And it's us. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, we, 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 we really we are pushing that forward today where we can by supporting artists and venues every day. Uh, door staff, you know, bar backs, every, every part of the the, the you know the value chain there like we've touched right and we've been there and we're making our name in New York, Atlanta, Houston, and uh, Austin and where we're Yeah. Is the goal worldwide? Hell yeah. Come on. I mean why would you be right? Worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> the goal is worldwide, but we're hyper focused on you know specific regions. We're hyper focused in growing those regions and Finding the, the like showing the value for those those customers, right? And we're just we're, we're referral only, we're co-sign only right now. But ultimately, once we start seeing repeatability with a certain type of customer, we may open it up. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, we'll see. Yeah. What do you think the keys are to like expanding like that as you have to compete with companies like Ticketmaster or Vivid Seats or StubHub? The reality is, we're not, we're not thinking about competition. About building rich product artists and venues. Mm -hmm. The reality is, we have to quantify that, be able to see it, have case studies. That's what we're looking, laser focused on. We're not here to say we're going to compete against Ticketmaster for seats as two guys in a basement. It just it doesn't work. That doesn't work that way, right? What we can say is we're, you know, we're two guys in a basement delivering, you know, 20% more in sales here, being able to allow artists to get 15% more people users and quantifying that and having case studies that are changing the industry of one artist, one day time. I think that's the goal here. It's to deliver an experience that adds a real real value to you know our customers and changes the industry for the better. Um, so be frank, that's our focus and that's what we're gonna be, you know, heads down on for a long time. Yeah man, well I'm rooting for you. I mean I really do think that web three and blockchain are the way for ticketing a hundred percent. I mean and you guys do, I'm assuming yeah, you guys do fiat integration, so that like it's just yeah, you're just buying tickets and and. Just buying tickets and buying out. 
in the USD Canadian paying out you know faster than we would be faster than the norm. Um, you're held to a higher standard as a new ticketing company, as a as a as a, as a web three ticketing company. We're we're you know we're we, we try our best to not only beat out you know the, the current industry standards from a pricing cost from a payout speed uh, everywhere we can every advantage is needed so yeah yeah it's cool man um, as far as like startups go in general what what uh, what do you think are some keys to success or what advice would you give to other people looking to start their own companies um, it goes back to, it goes back to my personal belief and I think yeah, I'll, I'll speak for myself if I say this. There ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. If you, if you really believe in doing something, do it. I think adversity is the greatest indicator. Dealing with adversity and having the ability to deal with adversity um, is the greatest indicator of success. I think if you're a startup founder and you're looking at the market and saying, ah, man, like, it's pretty fucking bad. I'm not going to get a raise. I think the question should be, hey, like, am I going to be able to deliver value fast enough? And, you know, we're going back to a market that's more value, profit-based, more rational. And I think if you're a founder that really believes in what they're doing and has a product that people really love, you're going to be successful. And if you're a founder that can deal with adversity, especially during this time, and earn your stripes, like, you're going to, like, you're going to be at the time more successful than most. I think, you know, just do it. That's still the Nike slide. <laughs> right. But yeah, man, like, uh, going back to it, just, you know, I think it's tough. Like, when you go to the CV, as you using the VC markets and the capital being a lot less deployed and all these things, it's, like, it's, 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 it is scary. But if you're a founder, just do it and see what happens. And if you ever need support, my email is omnikidlabs.com. Let's grab some time. Yes, sir. Talk, let's talk about it. Um, is there anything else? I think as we're sort of wrapping up here, is there anything else you want to touch on that, that we didn't get to, KYD related or otherwise? No, man. I think if you're an artist, a promoter, or a venue that's listening to this, you know, we'd love to talk and see how we can be helpful. You can find out more at kidlabs.com or you can get us on Twitter at kidlabs. Or you can email me personally at Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D, at kydlabs.com. And yeah, always happy to talk. I share my phone number, but I already get spam calls. And I realize <laughs> I have to do with you guys. Yeah. But yeah. All right, cool, man. Well, I'll, I'll put all that information in the show notes so people can check it out. Um, and I appreciate your time, man. I'm glad we, I'm glad we finally got it done in person. Yeah. This, was, this was a good conversation. It was a lot this of fun. It's all solid. I appreciate right, you, bro. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go yet. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check the links in the show notes to find and support Ahmed and Kid Labs. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and followed me on social media at the links in the show notes as well. Also, please don't hesitate to reach out with feedback or comments or questions. I love hearing input from listeners that can help me improve the podcast. And be sure to tune in next week for a conversation with Winebags, a musician, keyboardist, guitarist, producer, and more who has been active in the Web3 music niche since its inception in early 2021.